The Athletic. I think it's fair to say City will ensure that Arsenal cannot slip up and if they do they'll be there to pick up the pieces. Luis Enrique is actually the favourite to um, to be in charge at the, on the 1st of September at, at 6-5 so it's really a two-horse race between him and Julian Nagelsmann. Potter would be a good appointment for Leicester I'm sure but he's not going to take that job now and risk adding a relegation to his CV so to just sack Rodgers and have no contingency. Is that, is that really the best move? It sort of feels like Ten Hag's, you know, working out who can go with him next season and who can't. But it's clear they need a central striker. I, I, you know, a lot of teams do, but with Man United's money and pulling power, they've got to be doing a lot better than Valverde on loan. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and it's time for the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365, Steve Freeth and Tim Wolves are safe spears. Easter weekend is here, but will either Arsenal or Man City crack in the title race? Which sides can resurrect their survival chances in another pivotal weekend at the bottom? And who's left in the hunt for a top four finish? We'll answer all that and more here on the Weekend Preview. Both Man City and Arsenal matching each other stride for stride in the title race last weekend, with Arsenal this Sunday heading to Anfield, while Manchester City are going to Southampton. George, Man City are the guys that get to go first again this weekend. They're going to Southampton, where unbelievably they've already lost this season. And they've also dropped points at St Mary's in two of the last three Premier League seasons, drawing one and losing one. But... They have won four games in a row for the first time this season. Are they hitting their stride just about the right time? Um, If this was a Champions League podcast, I'd probably say yes. But uh, given that they're currently eight points off top spot, I think City fans would probably rather they hit their form a bit earlier and didn't give Arsenal um, basically a free run at the title. There's no denying they're playing incredibly well right now. And... You know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about how their form had dropped off at just the wrong time. And I think that's probably the more pertinent point to, to be taken. But they've, you know, they've won seven games in a row in all competitions. They sent Leipzig for seven uh, in the uh, second leg of their Champions League game, Burnley for six. They beat Liverpool 4 1 last time. Like they are operating at an incredibly high level. And when you consider. Erling Haaland was out of the game um, against Liverpool and Alvarez came in and played brilliantly. It didn't hurt them at all. Uh, Phil Foden out currently doesn't really matter. Jack Grealish is arguably the most informed player in the Premier League right now, which is great to see. So with Arsenal in the form they're in, you know, I think it's fair to say City will ensure that Arsenal cannot slip up. And if they do, they'll be there to pick up the pieces. But I think it's impossible to say they're hitting form at the right time, given how much ground they've already lost. But in terms of the Champions League, with two legs against Bayern Munich coming up in the next couple of weeks, 
they are timing their run to perfection in that competition, which definitely isn't something we've been able to say of them in the past uh, under Pep Guardiola. Nice little segue into the Champions League there. Erling Haaland is back in training, but Tim, will Pep risk him or will he give him just a brief cameo at the end to, to warm him up ready for the Champions League against Bayern? If there's any element of risk involved, then I don't see why he would. Uh, they clearly did all right without him last week. Alvarez um, is a wonderful player as well. Exactly, but yeah, yeah, and you know when you've got players who can slot into different positions, John Stones into midfield, Jack Grealish up front, or whatever. Yeah, you, you, it's remarkable, really, and the fact that they're playing the the worst team in the country ahead of the buying game. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll risk Harland if there is any element of risk. Like I said, and you're right, in Alvarez, he's arguably well, maybe not even arguably a, a better fit for this Man City team than than Harland is. It's remar- it kind of blows my mind that he's actually older than Haaland because he's he's this uh, understudy who's learning the game. But yeah, that is weird. It, you know, the, but the way he sort of drops deep, links play, and presses as well, I think he's he's actually a better fit. Um, so when Haaland drops out, you know, with the players they've got, they don't necessarily miss him, which is just crazy. With the groin injury as well, it's something that can reoccur. So I I don't think um, he should start Haaland if there's any uh, if there's any doubts uh, at the weekend, and I don't think he will. And I think Man City will win regardless. Steve, on Man City in the Champions League, are they, are they the favourites? They are, Dan, yeah. Uh, nine to four. They owe us absolutely nothing in this competition, by the way. They've, uh, <laughs> they've done us favour after favour after favour. But I suppose the law of averages, maybe it's going to be their year where they they just seem to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in this competition, don't they? It's incredible the runs that they've had. You think of Real Madrid last season, uh, Tuchel in the final the year before with no defensive midfielder, Pep overthinking it, Conte being player of the match, Corne scoring for Leon the season before that, Spurs 2019, Monaco 2017. Yeah, bookmakers pals, there's no doubt about it, Dan. And of course, he's up against Tuchel as well, who's beaten three times um, when he was Chelsea gaffer. So they are favourites at nine to four. Uh, Bayern Munich, for me, are quite short at, at seven to two. The big gamble, no doubt about this, is Napoli, who started the season at 150s. They're now 4-1. to one. They were 7-1 to one to win that group, which is, uh, with Liverpool in, it's quite incredible. Maybe a bit of value at Real Madrid with 13-2. to two. And Stuart George and his Ancelotti loving might agree with that. And then we've got Chelsea at 14. But to answer your question, Dan, I know I've gone around the houses there. Yes, Manchester City are favourites. Yeah, Real Madrid are still my bet for the Champions League. I can't look past them. I think I think they're absolutely fantastic. And Huge they know result of Barcelona. Yeah, and I just know what they're doing in the Champions League. Ancelotti mm. knows what he's doing in the Champions League as well. I think it's going to take a very, very good team to, to pip them to the Champions League this year. George, Southampton then, no winning four since beating Leicester. And then it, it did feel like they got an, an immediate bounce from, from, from their, well, he's, he's the permanent manager, isn't he, for, for, for the rest of the season. Is that bounce now over? It's hard to say. I mean, I'm I'm not a massive believer in new manager bounces, but I do think with you know with Nathan Jones departing the club, there was clearly given the toxicity around his appointment and his tenure there, something of a release when he when he did move on. In terms of their performances, you know, it's hard to really see too much of a downward trend. I wouldn't necessarily say like they were well beaten by West Ham last time out. That is a bit of form that hasn't aged particularly well. They were well beaten at home against Brentford prior to the the Tottenham game. But the three-all draw against Tottenham was a a really good performance. That was just two games ago. So they've shown there that they're still capable of putting in the kind of performance necessary to challenge a decent side in this league, albeit Spurs' form clearly not very good. The important thing in my mind here is that they've got a home game against Crystal Palace sandwiched in between a game against Man City and a trip to Arsenal. 
there's no denying that they have to prioritise that game against Palace. You know, anything they get from the other two is a bonus, and then Bournemouth follows those. So, you know, I personally wouldn't read anything into the struggles that City have had against Southampton in recent history. I think it's a quirk rather than anything that will kind of develop over the course of this game. Um, I expect City to win this one fairly comfortably, but I, I still think Southampton. It's not as simple as just a, a bounce and then a regression. I'm sure that they will be. You know, if they can repeat the kind of performances we've seen, certainly against Spurs, then they should be able to to come away from those bigger games or the more important games, maybe against Palace and uh, Bournemouth with something. Although, as we'll talk about later, Palace under Roy looked like a new uh, a new beast. I mean, they might have wanted fittest man in the planet, Nathan Jones, in charge for this one because he has beaten Manchester City as Southampton mm. this season quite comfortably as well in the end. Let's look at Arsenal now then. They, of course, travel to Anfield on Sunday at 4.30 Steve, they've not won a game there since September 2012. You'd imagine this is a pretty good chance to to rectify that. Yeah, I would say so, Dan. However, you know, you never underestimate Liverpool at Anfield, Anfield, cliche-wise, but you ask Manchester United all about that. I'll tell you what, if Arsenal do lose this game and Manchester City win this weekend, Manchester City are back favourites. Manchester City will Mm. be about 4-6, 8-13 for the title, which seems ridiculous, I know, and... You mentioned the record there, Podolski and Gazzola scored those goals in, in, in 2012. And I was looking for the pri- uh, prices previously as regards to these clashes, both home and away between Liverpool and Arsenal. Let's take this season's game out of the way earlier in the season. Arsenal haven't been favourites since December 2000, uh, 2017. That's the last time they were favourites against, <laughs> against Liverpool, home or away. So they've certainly had the hoodoo over them in recent years, 4-0, 3-1, 3-1, 5-1. 3-1-5, loads of, of high scores. Looking at the fixtures, I suppose this Arsenal could actually put that final nail in Liverpool's top four coffin, undoubtedly. But you look at the fixtures and they've still got tough games to come. away. At, I think the three games on the trot that they have away at City, at home at Chelsea and away at Newcastle, those are three pivotal games for me. But you look at the form, they obviously saw Manchester City win last week quite convincingly. They go out and play Leeds. OK, they're odds on to beat Leeds, but Leeds are improving under Gracia, they, they absolutely blew them away. And it's it's looking good for them. And and, and Jesus coming back as well is, is is a massive bonus. They go there in rude health and and, and you they they do actually go there as slight favourites to win at Anfield, which is obviously a great sign for the Gunners and, and Mikel Arteta. Yeah, I actually have called Liverpool to win this game, or I did on the podcast last week. I'm still going to stand by that. But good news for Arsenal is that defensively they're playing away from home. Away from home, they have a league-high nine clean sheets, whereas at home, for some reason, they've only kept three. Saliba is a big doubt for this one, Tim, but Rob Holding's played in the last two games, both wins. I guess, you know, that away, the away clean sheets thing is, is a good thing for, for Arsenal, but there is, it does feel like there's a big drop off between Saliba and Holding. Holding's a useful squad player, but in a big game like this, you'd really want Saliba in there. Yeah. I mean, Holding's done, done really well. I've seen him called Holdini, which isn't, orig- which isn't original, like Maldini. This isn't, isn't, isn't original, but, but it kind of shows how, how much he's impressed, albeit against, you know, pretty poor opposition. But that that speaks to a few Arsenal players who've sort of stepped up this season. You know, when when they or their squad depth have been doubted. You know, and Ketia coming in for Jesus being the most obvious one. Uh, Reese Nelson's come in and surprised a few people. So yeah. However, yeah, you're right. The drop off between Saliba and Holding is substantial. They'll need Saliba. I mean, it's 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 a huge game. You know, we're all talking about this gap. It's almost certainly going to be down to five points before Arsenal kick off because I don't see Man City not, not winning at Southampton. And then, yeah, as Steve, as Steve's rightly pointed out, the fixtures coming up, 
you know, there's that Man City game looms so large on my birthday on the horizon, uh, April 26th. Is it, is, it on, is, it on t- is it on TV? It must be on your birthday. If it's not on TV, if it's not on TV, I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking a placard to Sky Sports <laughs> HQ or BT, whatever it is, that It must be on TV. Must be. Um, that one will be. <laughs> yeah. So I guess if you're Man City, you're looking at Arsenal potentially slipping up um, maybe in this game and then, or uh, maybe away at West Ham potentially, and you're looking at moving to within striking distance of them by beating them at home, I think, to maybe cutting the gap to two points potentially before they then face Chelsea and Newcastle, Arsenal after that. So you can see, you know, a bit of a plan forming for how Man City can overtake them, but we keep kind of putting these questions at Arsenal and they keep answering them. So yeah, they do. They do. Liverpool are now 10 points off the top four. Klopp made six changes at Chelsea, including dropping Mo Salah. Does he know his best 11, George? What, what, what did you think of that? Definitely not. You talk about the changes from the Man City game. If we go back to the 5th of March when Liverpool beat Manchester United 7-0, only four outfield players have survived the first 11 from from that game um, through to the, the 0-0 draw against Chelsea. Now, some of those have been enforced, um, but generally it's been rotation and dropping out of form players. And, you know, that should have been unthinkable at the back end of that game um, for them to, to have, albeit difficult games, coming up against Real Madrid and Man City to put in a performance like that, to dominate a rival so convincingly, to score the goals that they scored, to get that kind of good feeling back, for things to have unravelled so quickly that they're chopping and changing the way they are, that Mo Salah is being dropped or rested, however you want to put it. it it's a total shambles, to be honest. He doesn't know his best 11, in my mind. Or he doesn't know what 11 is best to be picked right now. But there was 11 that showed a level of performance that was so much better than everything else this season. For that to have been torn up off the back of an anomalous result against Bournemouth, albeit a poor performance, then two difficult games, just seems crazy to me. Uh, I think often when managers are coming towards the end of their tenure, there's no continuity in what they're doing. It is just chopping and changing game on game. And even though there doesn't seem to be any you know, sign from Liverpool as a club that Jurgen Klopp's coming to the end of, of what he's doing. It feels like a natural end when there's no joined up thinking in terms of the decisions that are being made uh, in terms of team selection and, and, and the form of players. Next, we'll take a look at the Premier League's managerial merry-go-round and get stuck into the relegation dogfight as well. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I played here for 13 years. I coached here. I had a lot of incredible moments and some difficult moments because that's football. Um, but from the moment I joined this club many years ago, I can't remember the year almost, um, they've been a huge support to me and I'm forever thankful for that. So if I can be here, if I can help this club um, and we can come together and we can fill those days at Stamford Bridge and nights at Stamford Bridge and fill an, an energy in this period of the season, then that's what I'm here to try and do. I mean, at this point, it's not even a managerial merry-go-round. It's like managerial waltzes, uh, a, a merry-go-round 
nice uh, this is just i mean walters are horrible i've been sick on, on, on the walters um before you just it's just absolutely what the, the bottom nine has been wild for, for weeks now but the way managers are losing the jobs at, at the moment it's too kind to call it a merry-go-round we've got wolves v chelsea and leicester v bournemouth this weekend both saturday three o'clock kickoffs tim spears punching the air not no, not punching the air what do you do when you what do you do when you're angry and you do clench your fists punch the one in the face Put someone in the face. <laughs> yeah. Tim, anyway, Tim Spears is fuming. Christ. At, at, at two of these massive games being at three o'clock. Remind me to never give Tim any bad news. <laughs> yeah. George, let's talk about Chelsea then. Graham Potter's gone. Did you think you'd be talking about Frank Lampard taking taking charge of Chelsea this week when, when we did the podcast last week? If someone had told you next week you'll be talking about Frank Lampard coming in at Chelsea, would you have believed them? No, it is crazy. I mean, I guess in terms of like a pure interim appointment going into it, knowing that all you want to do is inject some life into a fan base and, and basically win them round. And I think for Todd Bowley, that has to be the main aim between now and the summer is is getting fans on side because this is still a new ownership group. And as an owner, he has sacked a manager who won the Champions League with the club, who despite poor performances was still universally wanted by pretty much the whole fan base. He then appointed, he replaced him, sorry, with a manager who very quickly wasn't very popular with the fan base and acted far later than the majority would have done in terms of making a change. I think this is basically just a PR move. And in terms of Lampard himself, he's a club legend. There's definitely no animosity felt towards him amongst the fan base about the last time that he was at the club. In fairness, he came in last time he was manager at a difficult time with a transfer ban and he is credited, rightly or wrongly, with the careers of Mason Mount, of, of Rhys James, at a time where in my mind he didn't really have any option but to play them and that's kind of why he was brought in. But there's no denying that without Lampard there's got to be a question mark as to whether or not they would be the players that they are now. So yeah, in terms of a pure vibes appointment, it's fine my concern with it and I guess the, the one thing I would say that I think Phil Graham Potter has been harshly done by is that Potter navigated them to the position to be playing in a two-legged Champions League knockout, knockout game against Real Madrid is Frank Lampard more likely to get the win over those two legs and Graham Potter in what is basically the only thing Chelsea have left to play for this season in my mind the answer is a resounding no I think we've seen massive tactical flaws in Lampard's man- managerial career so far both at Chelsea and at, um, at Everton albeit at Derby you know we saw a manager who's able to, to to get a team up for the big occasion but yeah two-legged semi-final in the playoffs over Leeds is slightly different to playing um two legs against Carlo Ancelotti's Real Madrid in the Champions League so crazy I, I'm almost kind of surprised that that if they were going for a, an appointment where it was all about fan popularity a club legend and the rest of it that it wasn't John Terry who got the call given we already know about Frank Lampard's um deficiencies in the dugout and the other thing to mention is is that Frank Lampard doesn't have Jody Morris by his side. Jody Morris is now Swindon Town yeah. manager. Jody was his assistant previously. We are going to find out how much of an impact that's going to have on his managerial ability. So, yeah, it, it's a PR move, I think. And, and, and in that respect, probably not a bad one. Frank Lampard lost his Chelsea job when they were... Into, into the Champions League, deep, deep into the Champions League, didn't he? He lost his job and Tuchel took over and ended up winning it off the back of what Lampard did. So it's kind of, mm. he gets a, he gets a, another crack at it, Big picks it up where he kind of left them in, in in a weird kind of way. Steve, there was, there was even talk of Antonio Conte getting the Chelsea job l- l- last night when I was when I was perusing social media. So who's going to be Chelsea manager on September the 1st, Steve? Rude Hullet, Glenn Hoddle? Yeah, well, of course, we, there aren't that many games left. So... 
the managerial markets around this time of year, I you know, just put it for the 1st of September because interim managers don't count. So at least, you know, they'll, they'll be probably, you know, in charge at the start of next season as well. So this makes it more competitive. And Luis Enrique is actually the favourite to um, to be in charge at the, on the 1st of September at, at 6-5. to five. So it's really a two-horse race between him and Julian Nagelsmann uh, currently at 2-1. to one. Understandably, we have seen money for Frank Lampard over recent days, but he's shortened into 4-1. to one. I suppose he'll have to win the Champions League, get Chelsea a lot higher up. They're currently 3-1 to one to finish in the bottom half, by the way. They are 14-1 to one to actually win the Champions League. And I know interim Chelsea managers have a history of winning trophies as well, but I think Frank's pretty short enough there at 4-1. to one. And by the way, it can't be a bad gig just going to a game, just being in a box and then just being asked if you wanted to be Chelsea manager to the end of the season. You'll have to get me a job doing doing like that. That can't be a, that can't be a, that's a good gig if you can get it. Uh, and then we've got Potch at 16 to 1. He, as we've talked about before, guys, he might be looking in and around elsewhere. Brendan Rodgers at 20, Ruben Amorim at 20, Antonio Conte, Dan, at 20 to 1 as well. There's just a whole list of names that just get regurgitated for every single job going. And let's be honest. There's loads of jobs going at the moment. Yeah, there is. I mean, the only surprise we're saying Frank Lampard in that box was that Steve Freeth wasn't occupying it with him. I don't think I've ever seen a corporate <laughs> box without, without Steve Freeth in there. No food, Dan. No food. That's why I didn't go. Yeah. Tim, let's move on to Wolves then. As we know, absolutely completely safe from danger this season. They did leave it a little late to take a point at Forest last week. I watched that game. And I thought Forest were very good and Wolves were quite fortunate to, to equalise late on. But how are you feeling about your wild statements now? Uh, I was there. I was there on Saturday. <laughs> I was there on Saturday. Yeah, I, I am a bit worried then. I am a little bit, just a little bit worried. Um, so there's a big, that's a challenge from last week. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. no I, 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 I still think we'll be fine. But... Oh, yeah, I've been saying for a long time that they're too good to go down. And I, I, I sort of stand by that still. But yeah, we've also been saying all season, you know, they've got to crack this this goal-scoring conundrum and they haven't done that yet. And uh, their top scorer was Daniel Pedence, who's got like six or seven, and now he could be out for six games for an alleged uh, spitting offence. So they are in trouble on that front. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I watched them at Forest. They had 72% possession and, uh, and had one shot on target. You know, it was all, it was great technique. Uh, nice movement, pretty passing, but literally nothing at the end of it. No risk taking, um, no desire in the final third. And I was, I was thinking when I was watching it, I'd rather, I'd rather my team play like Forest do, to be honest. You know, really in this, si- good. in this situation of a relegation battle. Yeah. They were, they were, they were tough tackling. They were in your faces. They were, they used the energy of the crowd really well. You know, they only had 28% possession, but had doubled the amount of shots Wolves had. Um, and they were good, you know, they were good on the counter. Wolves are just sort of all style, no substance at the moment. So, uh, yeah, three home games in the next four. Chelsea, obviously, then Brentford. They've got Palace later in the month. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be fine, Dan. They'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Just, just not, just yeah. not going to shout it as loudly as, as I did a couple of weeks ago. Diego Costa score against his old employee? <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be. I'll be on the pitch for that. He's he's barely, he's barely had a shot yet since since joining. He hasn't even scored in training, Tim, has he? <laughs> 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 he did back. A, I will say he made a slight impact last week. Wolves were better That's when, when he was on the That's pitch. Really they were well, they equalised with him on the pitch. In fairness, meanwhile, Leicester City have also moved to sack their manager last Sunday with Brendan Rodgers giving his marching orders after defeat to Crystal Palace. That was then followed up with a loss to Aston Villa on Tuesday. Here's the Athletics' Rob Tanner reflecting on a week of uncertainty at the King Power. It's been quite a traumatic week for Leicester City, starting 
at the weekend at Crystal Palace, a game that was seen as the what should have potentially been the start of their recovery. And unfortunately, it was just one of those afternoons that all went wrong for Brendan Rodgers and obviously it transpired. It was the end of Brendan Rodgers. 30 seconds plus whatever the referee adds on. Here's Mateta. Great turn. Great finish. Would you believe it? The 95th minute winner for Crystal Palace was a real body blow. It's a sliding doors moment because had that not got in and they'd got a point on the back of the point they got at Brentford, uh, would they have made that decision? They certainly didn't have a strategy to replace Brendan Rodgers. So it was very much a, a reaction to that defeat at Crystal Palace, the decision to relieve Brendan of his um, his role on Sunday. Huge breaking news from the Premier League, specifically with Leicester City, because Brendan Rodgers is no longer their manager. But that left them in a real predicament because... The fans had turned, so they didn't want a toxic atmosphere at home against Aston Villa, but also they didn't have a plan to replace Brendan Rodgers. So they've gone with Adam Sadler and Mike Stowell, and they were hoping for a bounce. They wanted a bounce, and we did get that against Aston Villa for a large part, although the quality was certainly lacking at times. And again, it was another body blow, a, a late winner for Aston Villa. Given away by Andy. Leicester now find themselves in a situation with nine games to go. They've got to win against Bournemouth at home on Saturday. The club would prefer to wait till the summer um, to bring in a permanent manager because they'll have more options then and their preferred um, choices will probably be available or more likely to be um, agreeable to coming to Leicester if they retain their Premier League status. Graham Potter is head of that list, um, but he needs a bit of time out to recharge after his sacking at Chelsea. So they find themselves just in a bit of limbo at the moment where they've put their faith in um, Sadler and Stowell. Um, if that doesn't work, they're going to bring in an interim manager. Uh, Rafa Benitez has been muted. So has Martin O'Neill. That's unlikely. Uh, and tr in the hope that they can secure their Premier League status and then they will look to the future by making a permanent appointment in the summer when they've got more options. I met Rob Tanner last week at what turned out to be Brendan Rodgers' last press conference. Nice guy. Steve, then, what's the managerial odds looking like for, for the next Leicester manager? I mean, Martin O'Neill being mentioned. Am I, am I doing a podcast in the year 2000 here? What, what's going on? <laughs> it's it's incredible, isn't it? I think just this whole season, he's just, he's just absolutely crazy. I would, I'd imagine he'd be around 16 to 1, Dan. I haven't got you, actually got him in the, in the list of front runners in, in, in front of me. This is to be manager again on the 1st of September. It's Graham Potter who's actually the favourite at at 11 to 8 with with Rafa Benitez a, a shade bigger than than 3 to 1 and then we have your former manager Steven Gerrard at, at, at 10 to 1 uh, Sadler's 11 to 1 to get it permanently same price as Michael Carrick and then oh, Hassan Hootl at 14 Ruud van Nistelrooy at 14 again there's yeah I mean Potter at 11 to 8 really says it all yeah this is the problem I've got with sacking managers now so that Leicester have got no contingency as as a Rob was was just saying, Potter would be a good appointment for Leicester, I'm sure, but he's not going to take that job now and risk adding a relegation to his CV. So to just sack Rogers and have no contingency is that is that really the best move, George? Possibly, possibly not. I mean, it, it feels like with with Rogers again in a similar vein to the, to the Nathan Jones stuff. Maybe given how poor it's been for quite a long period of time now, just him no longer being there 
Uh, and he's maybe... got credit in the bank compared to Nathan Jones at Southampton, hasn't he, Rogers? He's, no, no, you know, he's I, I, I'm not comparing. I'm definitely not comparing the jobs they've done or their management style or them as managers. Just purely in terms of when you're down and out, and there's only one thing you can change is the manager. And so, in that respect, with Leicester, who have you know invested so much money in terms of the infrastructure of the club over the last decade or so, we won the Premier League not long ago. Who had ambitions to be a, a European mainstay right now facing down the barrel like this is the only thing they can really do I wonder I mean the, the one that maybe catches my eye in terms of the uh, next manager market is Steve Cooper at 25 to 1 basically purely that there's quite a good chance Leicester get relegated next season there's also quite a good chance this season sorry there's quite a good chance that Nottingham Forest get relegated this season and whilst the club have stood by Cooper now whether or not they, st- they stand by him in the summer if that does happen I'm not sure and if the job suddenly becomes get Leicester back into the Premier League well then I mean who might they turn to so um, you know a bit of uh, a few corners to turn in order to get there but um, that list of managers reads as if Leicester are going to be a Premier League team next season and that doesn't look particularly likely at this stage. No, and Tim, arguably the biggest game of the weekend. So, of course, it's Saturday, 3pm. Leicester are playing Bournemouth, another relegation six-pointer. Who do you think is going to come out on top? I'm at this one, Dan, so I'm not I'm not going to miss oh, yeah. it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, I was looking at Leicester's sort of results, recent results for um, for a bit of research. And did you know that all of, all of all seven wins they've had this season, all of them have been by at least two goals, all their victories. So uh, they've had, they've had they've had the odd sort of three goal win or four goal win and and and, and two goal wins, but no sort of one goal victory. Um, they also don't draw many; they've only drawn four. I don't know. It sort of speaks to something that we've we mentioned earlier in the season, where I feel like there was a lot of lack of leaders in that squad, and when things are going well, they can they can blow Spurs away four one or Wolves four nil or Forest four nil, but in in tight games, they they almost always lose. And when you take people like Casper Michael and and Johnny Evans and Jamie Vardy sort of out, out of the core of that team, mostly through age, um, and don't replace them because you're not signing any, any players, then that's what you're going to get. And again, against Bournemouth on Saturday, they come up against a, a team the exact opposite of Leicester at the moment, where they're, they're actually playing for each other. They're playing like a team. Gary O'Neill's, you know, uh, made some really positive changes there. And um, I think they'll fancy their chances of going to Leicester and getting something and, and forcing Leicester there to to make an interim appointment because if they're going to go with Mike Stahl with the greatest of respect for the rest of the season, then uh, I don't think they're giving themselves the best possible chance of, of staying up. No, I agree with you. I think Bournemouth will, will sniff blood. Bournemouth feel like they're going pretty well at the moment, picking up picking up results here and there, which is what you need to do in the, in the way this relegation battle is so, so far this season. Let's take a deeper look into the relegation battle then, Steve. How are the odds shaping up this week? Well, we are 10 to 11, Dan, about the side finishing 18th, getting 35 or fewer points. Southampton now are adrift as far as the relegation betting goes. They are one to five to be playing their trade in the championship next season. Nottingham Forest now are a shade of uh, odds again. Uh, uh, yeah, odds on, I beg your pardon, at eight to 11. With battling Bournemouth at, at five to six and Leicester at thirteen to eight, so a huge game that that Tim will be there at the weekend. Everton at two to one, and his uh, Mr. Spears, his beloved Wolverhampton, are now four to one, the same price as uh, as West Ham. Leeds drifting like a barge, absolutely fantastic under under Gracia as well. They're six to one, and Roy Hodgson, regimental Roy, no longer without attacking football last week. The Eagles are flying, and they're eleven to one for relegation. 
30 plus shots against Leicester from, from Roy Hodgson's free flowing Crystal Palace. Absolutely. He didn't have that in a season, did he, at Palace in the last year? I was watching it in, in, in disbelief when I went to watch the highlights in that game. Still, Addison Edouard didn't get on the score sheet, though. I didn't even get the pick. I think he came on, actually. Took a lot of those shots that you're, 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 <laughs> you're crying about there. No, no, goals, no goals, though. I think he must be like 175th in the Golden Boot race at the, at the moment. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Forrest did slip to an eighth game without a win on Tuesday, losing at Elland Road. And much like Leicester, they can't really seem to protect a lead. They've dropped 20 points after taking the lead in games this season. Steve, Steve Cooper's had the backing of, of, of the ownership, though, and, and rightly so, in, in my opinion. What's the market been like for Forrest? Yeah, well, I mean, after a. The, the, obviously, rumours about about Steve Cooper again this season about his job. So it's great to uh, to see. I think George mentioned it earlier. He will be sought after, you know, when he does if he is pushed from from Forest. Um, I think that's uh, I think that's a certainty. And it's all about Villa. I have to say, Dan. Really, I mean, I'd love a five all. Any chance of a five all this weekend between? Do you remember that a few years ago? Well, yeah, I do. I do remember it. Yeah, yeah. Championship was wild. It was. Yeah, yeah. That was an incredible game. So they are. They're not winning games at home anymore, are they? They are absolutely dreadful away from home. You saw those Forest fans. One win all season. Yeah, you saw those Forest fans against Leeds when they went warping. They were going absolutely crazy. And then they just, you know, threw it away. So disappointing. One thing is guaranteed, though, Dan, this weekend, you'll be chanting about the European Cup, weren't you, the pair of you? I'd have thought so. And I thought you were going to say then one thing's for certain this weekend. Ollie Watkins will score. Can't stop, can he? We have actually got a price on him scoring 20 goals this season. Was Peter Wirth the last person to do 20 league goals in a top flight? League goals. Yes, I think you're correct. Nineteen eighty, eighty-one. Um, I've, I've got Benteke nineteen goals here in in 2013. I know people have probably criticised Ollie Watkins earlier in the season for his finishing. I'm looking now at his shots. His shots, shots on target. They're all the same. Every single shot he seems to have seems to be going on target. So mm. he's he's thirteen to two to get twenty or more. He's been talking about Europe. He's been talking about him wanting tw- you know twenty or more goals. He's obviously hungry, ambitious. Villa, unfortunately, are a hungry and ambitious club going up the table. We were talking about the top half at a push maybe a few weeks ago, Dan. Yeah. What are you? Eight to one, ten to one for a top six finish. Well let's let's mm. just end the pod now, shall we? <laughs> Ollie Watkins has scored six away games in a row as well. The last player to do that was Sergio Aguero for Man City in two thousand and seventeen, I believe. There are I mean I was just looking now and there are seven English players who've scored 10 or more goals in the Premier League so far this season with probably more to come as well which must be better than most years you'd have thought those are Ivan Tony, Harry Kane Marcus Rashford uh, Bukayo Saka and Callum Wilson can you name the seventh because I am surprised I hope this isn't the trivia question that a guy had planned for us no it's not former Albion uh, low knee yeah Harvey Barnes yeah is it? Scored one more than his, his teammate Madison. I think I backed I mean, him. I, scored against Villa. I backed him to have be the top assist maker in the Premier League this season. I think he's got about one, and he and he can't and he, <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, he score, and he's scoring for fun. In, yeah, yeah, in, in a struggling side, so which sums me up basically. Yeah, that's that surprised me. Good stat there, George. Let's look at West Ham now. Battered 5-1 by Newcastle on Wednesday night and they were absolutely desperate at the back, by the way. It was only their second defeat in five games, but they did look like they're lacking a little bit of confidence. There was a nervy win over Southampton last Sunday. Europa Conference League is obviously still on their mind as well. Where where are we at with West Ham, George? 
I mean, it, did he watch the five goals that Newcastle scored? I watched on the whole Wednesday game. Night? They because... were desperate. The Fabianski has come back and nowhere near the same goalkeeper. He looked nervous. If you if if you break down those those goals one by one, every single one is just a total aberration in terms of defensive shape and concentration and understanding what to do. And that that's the biggest concern for me is that, yeah, Newcastle were the better team and were, were totally deserving of their their 5-1 win, but you're not going to get an easier chance to put someone away 5-1 five, five, away from home than, than West Ham presented to them. David Moyes looks like a broken man. Oh, he I'm was bewildered. on his haunches. Yeah. And on his post-match, you know, he said he didn't blame the fans for leaving early. Again, it feels to me, it's got all the hallmarks of a, a team and a managerial reign that's coming to the end of its tether. But whether or not we see anything, any action being taken, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's frustrating for them because it comes off the back of four points from their previous two games, a better performance at home to Southampton, where they were very good at stopping for Southampton from doing anything. But, you know, that's the kind of performance and result to, to set you back a few, a few paces. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Moyes is in danger this season. I think Moyes will, will, be, will be here for the rest of the season, but I certainly don't think he'll be at West Ham. They are favourites, like, um, like, They are favourites for the Europa Conference League as well. So it's, yeah, it's <laughs> difficult to show. Yeah. Tim Leeds have got three wins from six Premier League games under Javi Grazia. They're up to 13th, but still only two points above the relegation zone. But they do look the most likely to be safe right now, along with Crystal Palace. Well, I mean, by virtue of their positions in the league table, yeah, 12th and 13th, absolutely. But otherwise, you know, the loser on, on Sunday will still be twitchy for sure. I mean, I was at, I say I was at Leeds on, on Tuesday and when they fell behind early on, they were, they slipped down to 19th in the table. Then they equalized and they were up to 16th. And then when they got the winning goal before half time, they were up to 13th. So I, I'm just praying that this is this is still the case on the final day. Can you can you imagine that on the final day, going from 19th to 13th, or or vice versa? It mm. is absolute carnage down there. I, I would love to see eight teams in in relegation danger on that last day. And nine. yeah, as, as no, not not nine. As for Leeds, yeah, I was uh, sort of Grassy's kind of kind of been quietly and and efficiently gone about his business. You know, he's not sort of shouting from the rooftops like his predecessor did a little bit too much. I think they've got te- 10 points from six games. They look tighter to me. They're not necessarily sort of wildly relying on using using that crowd to get them over the line. They, they really shut the game down well on Tuesday night in the second half. Uh, Harrison was excellent. Bamford's hold-up play was brilliant. So, yeah, um, on current form, they'll be absolutely fine. Um, but having said that, like I said, when they fell behind at the weekend, they were they were 19th. So it's still all a bit too, uh, too tight to call. Let's finish this section then with the trivia. And I haven't looked at the question yet, so I'm just going to open up my phone and have a look. I hope it's not English players that have scored 10 or more Premier League goals this season. Well, if it is, we know the answers and we should get 7 out of 7, although we'd probably still somehow find a way to, to not. I'd still get it wrong <laughs> right then. then. Don't worry. Here we go. Steve Freeth, listen carefully because you never listen to the question and I always have to repeat it. Sorry. This, so this week's trivia is on the theme of the managerial merry-go-round. Oh, it's a good one again. Six managers in the Premier League era have managed five or more different clubs. Who are the? How many is Redknapp had? He must have had about twenty-five. Mind you, I suppose more. Than <laughs> <laughs> you want a lot of money now, don't you? Well, I thought I thought that was a Tim Spears laugh. I thought I'd taken the mickey out of me. <laughs> Steve Bruce. <laughs> You want me a lot of money now, don't you? Is that is that Big Sam? Because then it's like Big Sam must be one. You want me a lot of money now, don't you? Good shout, Tim. Roy Hodgson. <laughs> you want me a lot of money now, don't you? That's four. So only one more. 
Oh, six, it's six. Two more to get. We're four for four. Let's not rush in. I, I want six for six this week. Uh, uh, definitely Pardew. <laughs> you owe me a lot of money now, don't you? <laughs> it's got to be all those managers that always come up every time someone loses the job and they're in the favourites list. We must be missing one of those classics. No, I nearly rushed in with one that I think would have been wrong then. Yeah, there's one. Going? Well, I mean, there's one. There's one on that list that I don't think is done five for sure. It, this you isn't. This isn't my answer. But, but do 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 we think Pulis might be one? Or is he? Uh, this isn't, that's no, not my answer. I don't think Pulis. No, no, I don't think Pulis. I'm going to be crying in my wine. <laughs> we said it. We said, we said it. We said it wasn't. We said oh, it wasn't an answer. We said it wasn't an answer. We're allowed to talk about it, guy. Come on. We've got to be allowed That's to have outrageous. a chat. That. He's not getting well. I'm not accepting that. I'm not accepting. It's I leave this podcast. It's I'm good not that we now know it's not him. So yeah, yeah, it does yeah help, thank yeah. you for that. Uh, <laughs> again, this, this is this, this also is a, isn't a guess. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think Mick McCarthy's one. No, and my I was no, going to say don't I don't sorry. think it's Neil Warnock either. Um, no, 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 not Warnock. Steve Fraith, like a six-year-old doing a maths test, using his fingers to to, to count things here. <laughs> <laughs> but hang on, but Warnock was. Uh, Chef United, QPR, uh, QPR Palace, Palace. Uh, Cardiff. That's four. Oh, I think I might have it. I just need to do some mathematics in my head and use my stay free fingers to, to count Use your fingers. Oh, I've counted four clubs for this one. I'm probably missing someone. Well, say who it is. No, don't guess, and then we can help this you. This is not a guess. Working out. I've counted four clubs for them so far. Mark Hughes. Blackburn. Southampton. QPR. Stoke. Saints. Man City. City. Stoke. Stoke. There you go. I think, it, I think it's Mark Hughes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You owe me a lot of money now, don't you? Full marks. Excellent work, team. Really well, really well done there. We made lot. We made lot of work of that. Actually, in, in in some ways, we got off to a flying start and then just had to be careful getting the last one. Brilliant. Full marks in your face, guy. The producer. Yeah. Not full marks. The producer who you know tried to cheat us. Yeah. Hugh. Hugh. Yeah, sorry, no, producer guy. Yeah. <laughs> X, I'm absolutely buzzing with that. I don't want to do the rest of the podcast, but you are listening to the weekend preview, and we will be back after this break. I'm going to be crying in my wine. I'll tell you that now. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Right then, top four battle, Manchester United v Everton, Saturday lunchtime, Brentford v Newcastle and Spurs v Brighton, Saturday at three o'clock. Tim, Manchester United have bounced back from defeat to Newcastle on Sunday with a 1-0 home win over Brentford. But have they become a little bit too reliant on Marcus Rashford for, for goals? He scored 15 of Manchester United's 42 Premier League goals. And prior to Wednesday, they were scoreless in three Premier League games. Yeah, they, they probably are ever reliant on him, but you know that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes Spurs are reliant on Harry Kane. Man City were reliant on Haaland earlier in the season. Um, I guess there is an issue with others not stepping up and scoring. You know, that very course is is the obvious one, but there are others. You know, Martial, Anthony, Sancho. You know, these, Anthony. They need more of a man. Yeah, they 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 do, and I, I wouldn't necessarily point the finger at him for not sort of not sort of doing that this season because he's he's a, he's a young player in a lot of ways, and I think you know he's. Um, He's under the right manager to 
to mature next season. And that's when we'll potentially see him become more of an all-rounded goal-scoring uh, forward. But yeah, you know, defensive calamities against Liverpool, problems at one end, haven't scored for three games before midweek, you know, problems at the other end. It just sort of feels like Ten Hag's, you know, working out who can go with him next season and who can't. But it's clear they need a central striker. I, I, you know, a lot of teams do, but with Man United's money and pulling power, they've got to be doing a lot better than Valverde on loan. So, um, yeah, that's obviously priority number one for summer. They're coming up against Everton, who are unbeaten in four after a light draw with Spurs on Monday night with with Michael Keane scoring a goal that apparently he does all the time in training. George, how costly could Decore's suspension prove to be? He's obviously a very important player for them and has been given a, a new lease of life by, by Sean Dyche. He's been a key reason for their upturn in form. Um, but I personally think that the improved performances under Dyche are about more than one player. Um, I think they will continue to be a far better side than they were under Frank Lampard. Interesting to note that, you know, unsurprisingly, I guess they have comfortably the lowest pass completion rate now in the Premier League over the last few games. You know, Dyche has got his message across. It's direct. And I think there's there's room for direct teams in the Premier League. There aren't very many of them now. So if you're basically one of the only teams that looks to 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 sit off doesn't look to retain possession um looks to be physical get the ball forward wherever possible then that's going to cause a problem for teams who don't necessarily face that uh, i mean on the decoroy thing i don't know what you guys think but I, the reaction to people about kane's reaction was incredibly tiresome um you know i, I don't really understand spot why on, have a problem with Harry kane absolutely spot on i couldn't believe it some some professional people in the, in the media overreacting was absolutely embarrassing. Steve, you said last week that you thought Newcastle would get top four and since then they've had maximum points from their two games in a week. Callum Wilson has netted three goals as well. They've got two strikers in form at the moment with Isak going well as well and Alan St. Maximin's starting to pop up with some productivity as well. He's got two assists in two as well. So, and Jack and Murphy looks good as well for Newcastle actually in that front three at the moment. Almiron's not there at the moment but Eddie Howe, He's got options and they all seem to perform for him. Yeah, even a blind squirrel finds a nut occasionally, Dan. So that's the way I saw it with Newcastle in the top three. Uh, top four, sorry. They are, they're, yeah, they're odds on to finish there now at, uh, at, at one to three. I, I just thought, I just looked at them and I know they've been conceding more goals than they have been earlier in the season. They've still only conceded 20. It's the best defence in the Premier League. They've got a decent goalkeeper. You've got Trippier you know, with assists, Bruno Gamares in midfield. You had Willock and Gordon coming off the bench in midweek. You got Wilson and, and Isaac fighting for that spot up front. Sprinkle a bit of magic in from Alan Maximan as well. And that decent management team full of confidence. It's a club who are full of confidence right now. And they've got nine games left and they'll be favourites to win eight of those games. The only game that they won't be favourites to win will be the game against Arsenal at St. James's. But that'll be very tight in the betting if, I, if, mm. if, if you were betting it today. They look pretty good to me and I could understand why they are now currently one to three. United look decent as well after that victory um, on, on, on Wednesday night. They're one to six to finish in the top four down with, with Spurs out to 130 in Liverpool at 11 to two. And Brighton, I know people might think we're underestimating Brighton just a little bit. They are six to one. I would, I would say, I agree with you on Newcastle. I agreed with you last week on Newcastle and I agree with you again, everything you've said there, Steve. Tim Spurs, another game, more drop points from a winning position. Did Conte have a point about their mentality? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agreed with, with a lot of what he said, to be honest. Uh, it was just, he just went a bit too far and just 
sort of cross the line with things you don't normally say as a manager. But yeah, I the mentality, absolutely. Seen it time and again this season. The Everton game was ridiculous. I mean, they took the lead and just sat off against 10 men. Um, Everton had more shots, more chances, more possession with 10 men against 11, which is just crazy. Sort of the worst game management you could you could imagine, really, from a, from a Spurs point of view. So um, it's got the potential now that Newcastle and Man United have won their games in hand in midweek. It's got the potential to be an extremely depressing end to the season for Spurs. You know, if if they're cut adrift from the top four race, as, as they could be quite soon, um, there's nothing to play for under a manager who won't be there next season. And he's still kind of using Conte's methods, which weren't working for a lot of the players anyway. So, yeah, they really need to sharpen up, I think, as, as players, play for that badge, play for the fans, play for a bit of pride because, you know, Brighton coming to town on Saturday. Uh, if Spurs kind of sleepwalk into that one, then um, they'll be beaten and it'll turn ugly there because that crowd is really ready to turn. Yeah, plan to perhaps try and keep Harry Kane uh, as well. If you, if you were him, you'd be worried about the direction the club's heading in for certain. George, let's finish with Brighton then. Is this their chance to make an Evan Ferguson-inspired surge for a top-four finish? Yeah, why not? I mean, United look to be in all sorts of trouble in terms of, of their performances at the moment. A, a really important win for them, you have to say, over Brentford uh, on Wednesday night in a game where they didn't really impress again. I mean, Brentford, obviously difficult opposition, but it wasn't vintage United. Um, and there's a massive game coming up in a you know in two weeks where Brighton hosts United. And I don't know what Steve thinks. It'll be too early for 365 tab prices, but I would have thought Brighton would probably just about be favourites for that one, given Newcastle were, what, six or four favourites at St. James's Park the other day. So, you know, if they can keep on United's coattails or if they can close the gap even further going into that game then you've got to give them a massive chance of winning that and putting themselves in the box seat for the top four. So those are our featured games to look out for this weekend with this being how the full Premier League weekend looks. Manchester United Everton is first up at Old Trafford at lunchtime on Saturday. Then there's six three o'clock with Aston Villa Forest, Brentford against Newcastle, Fulham versus West Ham, Leicester v Bournemouth, Spurs Brighton and then Wolves against Chelsea. The tea time game is Manchester City's trip to Southampton. Then the two games on Sunday as Palace host Leeds at two o'clock followed by Arsenal heading to Anfield to play Liverpool at 4.30pm. We will finish the podcast as ever with the six scores challenge so I'll hand over to you Stephen Free. Thanks Dan. It nearly went in midweek. I thought it was going. Um, it didn't. The million pound jackpot is still there. We have paid out now over 1.2 million in cash for in consolation prizes. Tim, I'm going to start with you my friend with Spurs versus Brighton. 1-2. Um, okay. Wolves versus Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't. I honestly don't know. Uh, say it. Say it. Say it. Not three. Say it. Costa red. Say, say two two. Oh, splinters! Absolute. Water score twice. Absolute splinters. Yeah, I, I, I panicked and I can't. I generally can't think. I'm not including the warm up in this, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, George Brentford versus Newcastle. Nil one. Okay, and Southampton versus Manchester City. Nil four. Ooh, okay, and Daniel. Leeds versus Palace? 1-1. Uh, one, one. Okay, and Liverpool versus Arsenal? I've said Liverpool will win this one two weeks running now, so I'll have to go 2-1 to Liverpool. Oh, title race back on it. Okay, thanks guys. All the best.
That is it here from us on the weekend preview. The Athletic Football Podcast will be back on Monday following all the weekend's action. But until then, enjoy the weekend and thank you very much for listening. The Athletic.